Story Collective. Untold stories by unheard voices. Hearty my welcome to episode 3, Life in the Typing Pool, part 1, Getting the Job. In this episode, we hear about all the different pathways that led typists to getting their first job in the public service typing pools. Many interviewees remember their first few days and what the expectations were, their new colleagues and interesting characters found in and outside of the typing room. Before we kick off episode 3, let me introduce listeners to one of the Keystrokes Oral History Project researchers, without whom this podcast would not exist. Kia ora, I am Maureen Goodwin, part of the Keystrokes for Minute project team from the beginning in 2017. First time I touched a typewriter was in February 1962, when I began college. I have used these skills for 51 years in paid employment and in this project. I am so pleased to be part of this team, which has worked so hard to record the oral history of over 55 skilled and dedicated public servants. And this oral history and the podcast are a living tribute to the employment and social history of these women, a story that is now officially part of the National Library Records. Some of the interviewees will mention taking their exams or gaining their certs. This relates to the professional qualifications that women and men could obtain through workplace learning, via vocational institutions or by attending night classes. The qualifications essentially fall into four types, three of which are only recognised in New Zealand. They are Trade Certification Board or TCB, Chamber of Commerce or Government Exams, sometimes called Public Service Exams. The fourth type is Pitman Shorthand and Typing Exams, which are still current today and are recognised internationally. Listeners can see examples of some of our interviewees' certificates on the storycollective.nz website or on our Instagram, at storycollectivenz. In this first clip of Life in the Typing Pool, we hear from Mary Dooley, who started working in 1950, and whom spent their entire career in the public service. Mary's polio was a factor in choosing where she worked, as she had to consider the logistics of the physical environment, as well as the nature of the work. And... I had an interview at State Services Commission with Miss Raya McBride, who was the chief typist for the public service at that time. Uh, she was later the uh, CEO of Maori Affairs or somewhere like that. She be- was the first woman to become a CEO in the public service. She had been a shorthand typist and had been in charge of all the typing services at State Services Commission. Can you remember your job interview that you I had? I can, very clearly. Can I can remember Miss McBride talking to me about, um, you know, how would I manage to get from A to B because of my disability. Uh, I didn't have a wheelchair in those days. I used to walk with two calipers and two walking sticks. And I needed a job that was handy to the railway station because I didn't have a car. And... Um, I couldn't even walk to the station, but I used to get dubbed on the bike by my brother. And he would drop me at Woburn, and I'd catch the train, and I was able to walk. Miss McBride suggested I work in an office that was handy to the station. 
And so there was air department and there was uh, island territories and there was uh, health department and I chose health. And I went, it was across the road in the hotel, old hotel Cecil building on Lampton Quay. Uh, had been the American forces headquarters in Wellington uh, during the war and the typing room, on the, which was on the first floor, was the old, the old sitting room. Uh, I worked in, the, the, the office was divided into two pools uh, because you couldn't get full-time staff. And so they had two or three positions which had half-times. So although there was nine positions, they wouldn't all fit in the same room because you had uh, four people working nine to one and to make up the, the numbers. Oh, so you know, like and they, I worked full time. I was in a sort of a subsidiary pool with four in it. There was a a, part, a girl who started work the same day as me, who was a typist trainee, and she had half a day at tech and half a day in the typing pool. And then there was um, the lady in charge of the room, me, and one other person. Our work was taking shorthand as a shorthand typist. In the room I was in, there was four people, as well as that, that there was the Justetna. And all the office kept coming in and out to use the, run their, their copies off of this and that. And the equipment was passed its use by date. I had an old imperial typewriter, older than the ones we learnt on at school. <laughs> it was definitely out of date before the war. So when they got a new machine... When you started there... Your position was you were junior, junior. short typist, right. just starting. Yes, I had my I had my chamber of commerce short end typing, eighty words a minute, and I had my uh, grade one. Where did you do those exams? From Sacred Heart. Right. Yes. So they were done Sister Eugenius prided herself on being a very good teacher of short end and typing, and most of her star pupils had great positions all around the world, like at the uh, United States Embassy and things like that in New York, London, wherever. They were her girls. Lorraine's first days as a junior typist for the Ministry of Education in Wellington is still a memorable event 62 years after she started there in 1960. On the day I arrived, the supervising typist of all the typists had retired and started again as an ordinary typist because they couldn't get typists in the government either, you see. So the day I arrived, she was sitting there as a, a staff typist. And she was telling us these wonderful stories about... Because she'd started when she was 16 and she was now 60. And this was 1960. Good Lord. And she was saying how in the war they had to... Um, uh, couldn't get carbon paper, so they had to sit in front of the heater and let it run into itself. So... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and the little man, she said, used to come around and light the fire every morning and because government buildings is old. Yeah. So you were, what, 15, 16? 16. 16. Yeah. What did it feel like? What did it feel like on your first few days? I had a whirly chair. <laughs> I'd never had a whirly chair. <laughs> and I could go to the toilet when I wanted to. <laughs> but the worst thing, the very worst thing that first day was that um, I'm not very good at mathematics. In fact, I'm terrible. And, um, and at school, we'd learnt to centre, centre a job, you know, a, a job, centre it in the middle of the page, the heading, yes. on a short carriage typewriter. Mm-hmm. And when I got to education, it was a long carriage typewriter. <laughs> and I couldn't work out how to do it. 
and I kept pulling it out of the carriage and throwing it in the rubbish bin, pulling it out, throwing it in the rubbish bin, pulling it out, and I got so much in the waste paper basket that I surreptitiously hid it in my handbag. And at lunchtime, I went out and threw it in the waste paper basket into Cordy's ladies in the ladies' room at Kirk's. It was, you know, so. It's the wonderful story of the first day. What was the make of the typewriter? It was Imperial. Imperial, yes. Yeah. Imperial 66, I think. I'm quite, not quite sure. Oh, really? And then, of course, I was atrocious typist. But my boss, Mrs. Rowley, who was my most influential woman, woman in my life after my mother, she put up with me. Yeah. Put up with me with all my mistakes. Couldn't be bothered to check. She just she just said, put it on my desk and I'll check everything you do. And that went on for several years. Really? How many people in the typing pool? About 12. Twelve, yeah. and how were you arranged physically? How in, you lines, arranged? in with, lines, with the in charge up the end facing, like we were four down there, four down there, four down there, and her at the other end facing the door, sort of thing. And she had the phone. Nobody else had a phone. I n- we never got phones until I was about fifty. <laughs> you know? And so every time Mum rang, oh, she rang your supervisor. Yeah, you had to. Everybody, boss. everybody's Mum rang, and they had to go through the boss. So not a lot was private. <laughs> no, nothing. No. And you could hear the the boss saying, "Oh, hello, Mrs. Williams. <laughs> how are you today?" <laughs> and how did the work come to you? It came to me particularly. Yes, no, no, the boss handed anyone? it out. The boss handed. They all the went to the boss. To went... She had two in and out tray and urgent. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, all the men put in the urgent. Mm-hmm. But she she knew how to sort out. Yes. And then when when you finished what you were doing, you went up to her and she handed you. The thing okay. she handed you. So physically, you yeah. were physically given it. Yeah, because otherwise you'd always take the double space drafts from the bottom. Yes. You know. Yes, of course. Of yes. Course. So the form in which those drafts came to you, that was all handwritten. Yeah, and it was all on dirty big files about that big. Really? Yeah, and you got one teeny teeny weeny little letter attached to the top three lines, and you say, "I'd take this big job," and it wasn't really a big job; it was just on a huge file. <laughs> I see. So they were actually on sort of like a ring binder. No, it was, uh, yes, yes, it, yeah, it was, was just, it? it was just like a bit of cardboard with all the letters over the last 20 oh, yes, years, of course, of course. and then another folder on top of on another, top of it. yeah, yes. and then that, uh, with the paper clip on top, they put the letter that they yes. wanted, so that if you, if you didn't quite read how they spelt Mr. Brown's name, you'd look up the file to see how it was spelled. Very handy, yes, yeah. and those people who were able to give typing to the, to the supervisor, yeah. they were what in the department? They were the any, me, the any, men. Any, the, they were the men. <laughs> yeah. They didn't have any an, an, analytic and analysing sort of people in those days. It was just people who'd worked their way up. Mm. They'd worked their way up from the very bottom to being the director general yes. or the director as it was then. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, so he knew everything because he, he'd worked his way up. Minna's first shorthand typist job with the Department of Internal Affairs in the mid-1970s also created lifelong memories. So I worked in the typing pool with these wonderful older women and I think that that one year um, with the, at, at the Birthday Samaritans and um, Justice and Stout Street was the best working year in my whole working life. The typist in charge was a woman called Miss June Marriott and she was lovely. We were seated like we were in a school, so she had a big, we all had big clunky desks with our typewriters, Olympias and Imperials. She sat in the front looking at us, we sat in two rows of three looking at her, and um, the work, I can't remember how the work came, but because I did shorthand, 
I wasn't the same as the others. Miss Marriott and I shared the short end. With, um, so she looked after the guy who was the chief registrar of birthdays and marriages, but he was also the electoral, chief electoral officer. And um, Jack Wright, and uh, and then there was a deputy, Mr. Archbold, and um, so when Miss Marriott was not there or was busy, I would go and take shorthand from Mr. Wright, and we called everybody Mr. and Miss. We didn't call them by their first name, and but in the typing pool, that was our little haven. But I shared a room with a woman, Olga, who was an immigrant child, and she'd come over to New Zealand to live and grown up, and she was hysterical. She lived out in Tidahi Bay, she was absolutely fun. Um, Nora, Nora Nola, she was another older lady. Then these, these people had children, and um, she used to have epileptic fits, Nora. And I sat behind her, so I used to get to see, after a while I realised what little triggers, signs to watch was her shoulders. And the other next person who was nearer my age, Anne, I mean, she was, she was a lot of fun as well, but she was a bit older. She was very... Um, very, I was a little bit more wild than her, and I'm not even that wild. <laughs> oh God. She was very quiet. And then there were a couple of other people. So um, it was the absolute funnest place to work, birthdays and marriages. Lorraine Melvin talks to interviewer Rachel Brown about her first typing pool job with the GPO, the General Post Office whose headquarters once stood on the site of what is now the Intercontinental Hotel, in the still aptly named Post Office Square in central Wellington. Because in those days, um, the Post Office was one of the biggest employers in New Zealand, and that GPO did everything. So I was working on the top floor in the staff division, which was personnel. So it was the personnel for the whole of New Zealand was done out of that. So how many typing pools would there have been within that building? Well... Because you were obviously in the personnel typing we pool. We were, and we were upstairs, and we had to go down two flights to the canteen um, for our morning and afternoon tea. But um, I was just thinking about it because they used to do births, deaths and marriages out of there. They used to do uh, TV licence, fishing licences... Uh, car registration, banking. banking. Banking, because that's where you went with your passport to get your family benefit. And that would have been on the ground floor. Yeah. Um, and telex. We were friendly with a lot of uh, young women who worked in the telex. So that's the telegram, you know, the machines that printed out those little white things. And they got stuck on yellow things, telegrams. So, yeah, it, it was a huge place huge place. So yes, so I started out up there. I was interviewed by uh, Joyce, and I can't remember Joyce's second name. She was the supervisor of the typing pool up there, had been there for many years. She seemed like an old woman to me. I was 16, but she was probably, you know, late 30s maybe. (laughs) She's like, we're all terrified of her, terrified of her. Very stern woman. Looked after her girls. And we had a dress code, of course. She couldn't wear trousers in them days. Um, 
and we had to get the, you could never be late, the sign-in book. You had to sign in. It was down by her. So she sat on a podium at that end of the um, big room because the door from where all these... I just remember my first day of looking out this window and going, I've never seen so many men in one place apart from a football match. Just a sea of men sitting at these desks and the, their bosses all sitting along this way, facing onto the end. Um, and one poor, one woman, and she was locked in the file office all by herself. It was an exciting time. So Joy sat up the top. She would have interviewed me for the job. Uh, you got the job uh, so long as you agreed that you had to... Um, I'm not 100% sure about how many times, whether it was two or three times uh, a week in the morning, about nine o'clock, all us newbies, um, who and, and those of us getting ready for exams, would go into another room with the assistant supervisor, Pam. And she would read from Hansard mm. and we would have to um, write it down in shorthand. And then we would have to read back what we'd done. And that, would, and that was to build our speed. So we had to get our speed up. What did you get your speed up to? My pitman says 80 words a minute. And I, I passed both junior typing. So you didn't have a junior shorthand. You had junior typing and confused manuscript. So I passed those and then went for my shorthand typing. My typing had got up to about 110, which was my senior typist exam. And it must have been a reasonable speed because by then I was going out taking, sh you know, shorthand notes from the chaps out in the room. Now we hear Lorraine Melvin as interviewer talking with Annette, her childhood friend, about how Annette secured her first job, also with the GPO, before she had even left college. When you first went into the GPO, how did you get in, into that as a school leaver? How did that happen? Mm -hmm. Well, my memory of that is that it was basically my mum who just rang around and thought we would people be who use typists. She may have asked around, but um, it's a really interesting question. I'm not sure if I have the full answer, but I do know that she rang up and to see if there was any jobs available over the Christmas break, and she had to tell them what my typing experience was. And I had very good, um, for the two years I was at college, I had very good results for all of my tests. So I had a reasonable ability on typing. And I guess, um, yeah, maybe that was, I mean, it's pretty amazing that they took me on. What was the day like? Well, you know, it was, it was, it was fun times because I think just that sense, and because I'd never had a sister, um, it was kind of nice to have this every day, have this group of women. And because we were such a varied group of ages and interests and we had our own little, it wasn't called a locker room, I don't know what it was called, but 
we had our own room where we put in, just like you do at school, you've got your hook, you put your things up in there and you have your smock and you get that on and everyone's chit-chatting and, you know, we're worrying that we've got to get in and get seated because if that clock t jumps off 8 o'clock, which is starting time, was 8 a.m., and you were, were given uh, the grace of three minutes, but if the clock moved to five past eight, it had to be written in the book and you needed to make it up on a Friday before you left. It, it, that also was um, treated the same for lunch breaks. So there was sort of like everyone was scurrying if, you were running, if the train was a bit late or it was windy and it took a bit longer to walk up to the, <laughs> to the actual GPO. And I can still remember that noise of all the typewriters going and thinking it was quite a nice, lovely noise. I love those keystrokes, boom, 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 boom. You know, it's just like now it's just all so nothing. I, you know, like we had Miss Watkins, who was the overall, what I would call in today's world, the manager. But I, I know she, she wasn't called a manager. So she must have been a, a, the supervisor. But there was also like her 2IC. She was never called a 2IC. But she was also responsible for, probably more for the juniors. And then there must have been somebody, like a senior, a senior person who took us to all our training. I remember that she came from our department and she would get it, say, right, it's time to go and take us up. And she would do, you know, the, the speech for the, short, for the shorthand and various things like that. So there would have been at least three that I can think of who had reasonable sort of positions. And then I guess you would have been either a junior, an intermediate or a senior typist. Um, the, we, I don't know that we had any female clerks. They were sort of like, that seemed to be more of a man's role. Um, so we were all either typing or doing shorthand typing. I think I was pretty um, responsible, is the word that comes to my mind. I was pretty responsible. I didn't mind. I wanted to shirk around a bit, but I was pretty responsible. And I, I always think of how long it took me to do my sample folder, which everybody had to do before they were allowed to do anything official. You had to have typed up without making a mistake so you couldn't rub out and that was quite a challenge and you had to do a sample of every type of internal memo um, or uh, just a casual interdepartment thing all the samples of everything had to be done exactly the same so I probably I reckon I spent probably two and a half to three days getting my folder set up and my pa had to get that passed and signed off before I was allowed to do anything that was what I would consider constructive. So that would have been the very first couple of days that yeah. you started. Yes. You had to complete that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and it had to be signed off and not no rubbing out. Oh. Right. Because it was, it was a specimen-like. It, it was something, it was official. Linda tells us about her first typing pool job, which she started in 1984, after an early exit from her secretarial course at Polytech. I left school after the sixth form. My mum and dad were quite specific. I had to go to sit my university entrance and get a um, sixth form certificate, even though I didn't want to go to university entrance. Um, and because I'd learnt to type and was good at it, I had just this thing in my mind that I wanted to be a secretary so I she signed me up to go to Botany Technical Institute which was a secretarial course for a year 
Um, so I was doing that, and then I happened to see some jobs in the paper during our break in about August, September, and one of them was for the Department of Lens and Survey in their typing pool as a shorthand typist. Um, I have no idea what my mum and dad thought about me leaving my course early and not graduating, but they were um, sort of, I'd say, sort of supportive of me going for an interview. My mum had worked um, and utilised Lens and Survey quite a lot in her own job. And I went for the interview and um, I got the job and started there in about September, I think. So what year was that again? That's 1984, 1984. so I was 17 and a half. Did you, when you started there, you were straight out of school and six months at Polytech, um, what sort of on-the-job training did you get? Um, I had a week induction mm-hmm. of the what the work that Lens and Survey did and how they did things. So we had inside days learning about how they do things. I don't recall it just... It was across the board. It wasn't just, you know, a typing type induction. No. It was a general one for people from all over the place. Um, with regards to the typing stuff, it was probably there was just probably templates and standards and procedures. Probably a big procedures manual on our desk, if to be truth be known. A big ring binder thing that had the templates and the, you know... Three line spaces after this and indent twice. Carolyn gives a great recount of the physical layout of the typing pool room and the hierarchy at the Public Trust in 1966. So talk to me now a bit about the typing pool you went into. Um, It was very structured. So at the front of the typing pool, I only remember one window, which was down our end, but that name may not be so, it's just what I remember, because it's always seemed quite light down our end to the other end. So at the very front of the typing pool sat the senior shorthand typists, and there were two. Then there was one um, intermediate shorthand typist and one junior, being me. So they were sitting here, front the two we were in rows of in two rows and the intermediate sat directly behind one senior and I sat directly behind one senior then behind us sat the senior typist behind them sat and there were four of them I think and I can't remember how the rest broke up then behind them was the intermediate typist and behind that were the junior typist was in the back corner sat the supervisor so she'd sit behind you. Everybody. I think of her as sitting on a pedestal, mm-hmm. but she may not have been, or she may have been. Just She was a very nice English woman, really, really lovely. We were very fortunate in having um, a, a woman who was fair, helpful, and very good at organising our... Uh, rosters and things, because we had rosters. So for the, maybe I'll, I'll go back a wee bit. So when I got my position there, I was assigned a junior manager who was a male. He was also fresh out of school, and him and I spent a lot of time discussing social activities. But we did a little bit of work in between time. 
And then there was the intermediate managers and then there was the senior manager, the man who had interviewed me. What was interesting is that there were no women in the management teams. It was all men. Even boys straight out of school. Even boys straight out of school. Um, I, I have very good memories of if I got stuck on my shorthand, couldn't read it back, that the either senior or the intermediate ones, they would always help me and try and help me read back what I had done. But in turn, if they sometimes got stuck, they would bring to us. So we became a little group just because of the interests in our shorthand, just the abilities of our shorthand, which was really lovely. Now, the other thing that they did with all the junior administration staff in the typing pool, so it was actually just referred to as typing pool staff, we were given rosters to work on the reception and lunch hours and tea breaks, on the phones, which was a switchboard phone, yep, um, in the lunch hours and tea breaks, in the stationary room with the stationary manager, because they had a man specially assigned to that role, so what he did all day long was looked after the stationery. It was a big area. And the other thing was that we were given, also given um, time with the, and the, the, the periods with this woman were longer, um, who looked after the wills intestate division. So our job there would be to go through newspapers and check them against the files to see if um, those people who died had in a, a will with the public trust. All paper-based, absolutely nothing at all. So we had these big ledgers that we had to go through. And by the time I left there, they had moved a lot of that, the names onto uh, microfish, um, or what was the equivalent of the beginning stages of all that. What I got from that, though, was a very good rounding in office procedures as opposed to just being a secretary shorthand typist type role um, which I found useful when I moved on to other mm -hmm. smaller organisations in later life. So how many years did you work at the Public Trust? It was only about 18 months yep. but it had a huge impact mm -hmm. on my whole work life yep. and how I structured my work life because it was such a strong structure and how we managed each day. Yeah. Nikki outlines the orientation she experienced after moving from Ruatoria on the East Coast to Wellington in the early 1980s. Sponsored by the Department of Māori Affairs, this was part of the Māori urban migration, whereby 83% of the Māori population moved from rural to urban areas over just a 50-year period. A note for listeners, we apologise for the poor audio quality of this next clip. When I came down, um, Māori first looked after us through Pendennis Hostel, and then we had to be inducted at the Polytechnic at the time for a month, um, and it was about getting to know Wellington, um, orienteering about Wellington, um, the main schools, uh, where the buses were, the hospitals, so that we had to go out on our own and find these places. So um, it was just us getting to know 
Wellington in general, where things were your dentists, your doctors, setting up all those things yourself with the help of Māori Affairs, um, and just doing some inducting at the um, Polytechnic. And it was, that was for about a month. And then um, they took the hostels out of Wellington to Ōtaki to see other marais, to visit the marae down Island Bay, to get used to living in the city and having a marae in the city. Pōneke at the old time, I at the bus station. So we visited a lot of marais around the place. So it was just getting to know Wellington in general. I was 17 when I come down. Uh, sorry, I lie, I turned 18 in August. I, I was 18 when I come down. So it was just all young ones around that age. But um, I actually was the oldest when I in the hostel when I got to the hostel. So there was about 30 of us in one hostel. And uh, we didn't choose the hostels. We were placed in the, the hostels. And we had a person that looked after us. And Winnie Laban was the person that looked after our hostel. And um, then as I got to know the place, I was offered weekend work for extra money to help cook and make breakfasts there, two of us. And that's what we did as well as our full-time jobs. We were taught how to apply for jobs. So we applied for all these jobs and we were just waiting for it to come back to say, you've got an interview here, interview there. They taught us interviewing skills, all those things, hygiene, how to dress, um, communication, all that stuff that from the country you needed to know to get by in the city, how to catch buses, the trains, everything that we needed to know on how to function was in Wellington how to make appointments, how to ring up, how to speak on the phone, practicing talking on the phone to each other, um, good communication, how to respond. Securing a job in the public service often came down to knowing someone who could recommend you for a job or could advise you of an opportunity. Many typists were recruited by the State Service Commission, which was essentially the government's employer then staff were offered opportunities or sent to departments where there was the highest need. Louise had assistance in getting her first job thanks to a boarder whom lived in her family home and worked for the post office. When we were living in Lower Hutt, we had quite a big house and we had two boarders there. Bernie was working at, at the post office and Dad said to her... That was in Heard Street. In Heard Street. And Dad said to her, is there any chance you could get a job for Louise? And so she approached the, um, the supervisor there, Pat Heather. She was our boss. And, and I went in for an interview. Did your mother go with you? No, no, I think I went on my own. So tell me what you remember about the interview. Um, I don't really remember a lot, but it was probably just what Were I'd done nervous? with school. I don't know. I don't remember. Probably not. No, I went on my own. I'm pretty sure I went on my own. And I kind of knew Bernie, so I felt yes. I was there was someone there who was a bit familiar to me, yes. you know. Yeah. Um, and they were very kind because I was only young. They were all very kind and caring people. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I got the job and I put, I told them at school I was leaving. And for once, in my, I'd never ever shown any interest in me at all. And the assistant principal was a bit of a dragon. I can't think of her name now. She... You know, had meetings with me left, right, said, oh, Louise, stay at school, stay at school, you're silly leaving school, blah, 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 you're doing well. I said, I'm not going anywhere. It's just a waste of my time as far as I'm concerned here. And I said, no, no, I'm leaving, I've got a job lined up, I'm going, and that's it. So I left there, I think I left the day after my 15th birthday, and I started at, um, I started at the post office on the 6th of July, 1970. Michelle remembers how both her parents came along to her interview for her first public service job, a typist role with the health department. 
So it was early 70s. Yes. I knew I always wanted to do typing. Loved typing. Why, Why did you think that? I just loved it. Yeah. I just loved it. Even, you know, we had the old manual typewriters with the apron that we yes. used to wear. And I just knew. I thought, that's what I want to do. I mm. want to type. Yeah. I did not specifically in the typing pool. But I just, I wanted to be a secretary. Yeah. That's what I wanted to yeah. do. And so I thought, okay, I'll do that, put my name down. They didn't have enough girls or people, girls then, for the class, so they cancelled it. So I thought, oh, well, when I leave school, because I only had, I think it was, I left the next year, I'll do shorthand in night school. Well, that never happened, did it? Then they had T-line, that's right. They did t- oh, you didn't, they wouldn't have done Pittman's, you, did, you could do T-line. Yes, yeah. well there was no Pittman shorthand, because no. I, I definitely wasn't going to go to night school after leaving school. I thought, no, I've got better things to do in my evenings. And then I bought the T-line book. Well, I must have signed up for T-line. I still have the book, and I don't know what the heck to do. So then I left school, I um, went for quite a lot, a lot of interviews, a hell of a lot of interviews. And I went for an interview at Why a... Why did you go to such a lot of interviews? You? No one... Well, I sent all my, my CV out, but no one... Oh, there was write? just... Okay. Yeah, there was just no interest. This it year was... This was what year was it? 1979. And then I got an interview at a law firm and an interview at the health department for the typing pool, you see. So I went to the law firm, and I came for the interview at the health department. My parents came with me. Both parents? Yep, both parents. Marvelous. I was... 19? Okay. 18? Okay. Must have been 18. And I can remember it because they had these long corridors and they had these, like, bench seats all along the side and we sat, Mum and Dad and I sat there. And I went in for the interview. They didn't come in with me, but they went. But the supervising typist in charge that interviewed me was Mary Delaney. And she was so impressed that my parents had come. And I think back now, and I think, it didn't bother me. You know, it was... Whereas now, I think if I'd said to my daughters, well, would you like Dad and I to come with you? They'd probably say, no thanks, I'm all right. I thought, well, well hello, I'm still living at home at 19. So Lots of times mothers went, but I, you're the first person we've actually met so far whose parents both Oh, yes, no, Dad had to be in. So I'd actually got an offer from the law firm and an offer from the health department, and I can remember going home and saying to Dad, oh, Dad, now I've got two jobs, which one do I choose? And he goes... Which one's paying the most? I said, health department. There you go then, he says. Off you go. So it wasn't because it was a government job? No. It was the money? No. It was pay? Okay. It was just the money. It was the pay. Alison entered the workforce in the early 80s, and by this time, jobs were harder to obtain, so school leavers and those graduating from polytech courses had to send out resumes or CVs and hope they were granted an interview. So you graduated with a... A diploma in secretarial studies. Okay. okay. Yeah. And then what happened? Then was That was 82. 82, Yeah. And then I started looking for work, and I wrote what felt like at the time a million letters and sent off a million CVs, and I'd get a thanks but no thanks letter mm. in the post. Were you applying for public and private or both? Um, or was one? Private at the time, it was I'd see something advertised, so I would mm. apply. And then my dad's office lady said, Why don't you apply to the State Services Commission? And it's like, Oh, didn't even know there was such a thing as the State Services Commission. So I, I figured that out and I applied to the State Services Commission. 
And then within, oh, literally a week or so, I'd got a phone call saying that there was a position at Housing Corporation in the typing pool, okay. and would I go for an interview? Um, so I went for the interview, which was just at the building, just across the way here, and um, I remember it vividly. Old public service men of the time, I can imagine. you imagine? I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. So it was in this tiny wee office, and there was the three of them sitting there. Really heavy. Oh, it was really heavy going. Um, and Betty Horn, who was my manager, with three of them, interviewed me. And Were you nervous? Oh, totally. Very, very nervous. And your mother didn't go with you, nobody went? She sat in the car outside, waited for me. <laughs> she sat in the car outside the building and waited for me. Um, How long did the interview take, do you remember? Oh, an hour, maybe. Maybe not even that long. And at the end of the interview, they said, can you start next Monday? This was like Wednesday or Thursday of that week. And they said at the end of the interview, could I start next Monday? No ref checks, no, didn't check my referees, really? nothing. They just looked at my, the manager, Betty Horn, the t- manager of the typing pool, she looked at all my certificates and said, when can you start? Fantastic. How about next Monday? And I was like, so I go back downstairs after the interview and get in the car and mum goes, how did it go? And I said, I start Monday. Do you remember the salary? $10,000. Mm. I've still got my first pay slot. Oh, if you've got a photocopy of that, that would be Somewhere great. Somewhere I've got really it. really interested in what this starting rate is. Yeah, 10000 It was just over $10,000. Right. Yeah. Mm. yeah, and I thought I was in heaven. Did you belong to a union? Yes, right from day one. Okay, PSA or PSA? PSA. Yes. Yeah. And I joined the um, the Public Service Investment Society. You I could open a PSIS, bank account yeah. with the PSIS. Still I back with the... you to do those things, or did you just... It was sort of all in your starting package. There was you got this package of paperwork when you started, and there was just all these forms, and you just filled them all out. And and yeah, I joined the union. I joined the PSIS. Entering the workforce in 1986, Robin started out in a clerical role with the Ministry of Energy, with her heart set on eventually securing a role in a typing pool. By this era of public service, induction programmes were in place to assist new staff. So once you'd done your sixth form certificate in UE, what did you feel were your options? I wanted to be a librarian. Yeah. Um, Because I love books. Yeah. I loved English. And my part-time jobs when I was at school were in the library. And um, I also did um, straight after sixth Form, I did a stint at the National Library in Christchurch, a um, school holiday job. And um, unfortunately, you needed university entrance to get into library school, and I obviously wasn't bright enough, so I, that, that subject, that, that kind of went by the by. Um, in probably around about September of my last year in high school, there was um, an advertisement in the newspaper and the Ministry of Energy were um, advertising for clerical cadets. <clears throat> and my partner was um, working um, for them, for the electricity division at, at the same time and he said, you know, it's a good organisation to work for, why don't you apply? Um, and they were being there was four positions being offered. That was their intake. They were mm-hmm. there was some kind of um, government requirement that they had to take for school leavers each year. 
and um, I applied for um, a position and I got it. So I actually had a job before I left school. That was my first my first yep. job. So I left school having knowing that in February of the year after I left school, I had a job to go to. So you've started at your new job. Yes. Do you have any memory of that first day? Um, I'm nervous. Yeah. Really, really nervous. But um, good in a way that I had four other school leavers who were started on exactly the same day and we're all pretty much feeling um, nervous. Um, but after, I think, probably the second day, we we actually became quite a tight unit. Um, there was a there was three three girls and two two guys, um, and we had um, an induction, quite a an extensive induction process, um, where we probably spent three days visiting different parts of the the, the organisation, and I think we also had a field trip to Lake Coleridge. Um, um, to visit a power station to actually see what a power station looked like and to some of that to the little substations as well um, and um, that was good because it, it put into context you know what you were doing and who you were doing it for and um, the other people who weren't working in the office like the hands-on people you know the power station supervisors and the fitters and turners and the mechanics and all those technical people that Fix. <laughs> and were you the only ones? So there were five of you. There was five of us. Yeah. So you were the only ones on that induction, or did they have other people joining? No, no, no. there was just a special induction for us newbies. Yeah. So you were called clerical. Yes, we were definitely clerical. Um, and I do actually remember one of the things I do remember in my interview was whether I would be able to go into the typing pool because I I wanted to type. And the my supervisor at the time said, "Well, these are clerical positions we've advertised for. Um, you won't have the opportunity to go into the typing pool, but that could come a little bit later. But these were definitely clerical positions. There would be no typing involved. So they were clearly separate roles. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yep. So the, cler- the clerks were attached to departments, and there was a separate typing pool." Just 17 years old, Friday started work at the Department of Social Welfare as a staff typist in 1987. It was certainly unusual to be a male typist, let alone a young Māori man, but Friday's skills ensured he was soon fast-tracked through the ranks. So what was it like? Tell me about what the office was like and what the setup was. Yep, so um, in the typing pool there was about 25 of us, Mm -hmm. so it was a huge team. It was Um, a very big group. Yeah, so... And how was the room laid out? So when you walked in, there were just think, desks in a row. Mm-hmm. With like, people school. like school. Like mm-hmm. school. Um, yeah, I still, yeah, so we did all the typing for the office. Plus we also did data entry as mm-hmm. well. Really? Um, and we also did what they called word processing as well. You so, did that then. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, so in terms of the... And data entry is so mm. tricky. Yeah, and um, did you find that hard? I did, but of course we had to. Um, I still remember that in the staff typist role, that was all we did for this thing for the first six months. Okay, yeah, okay. so yeah. you quickly got the hang of it. Yeah, 
And what was the general culture like in the in the in the pool? Was it friendly? Was it sociable? Oh, it really was. The supervising type of sat at the head of the yes, room. Yes, yep. And our I think supervisor type is in charge. She she had her own office, and she was the one who interviewed you anyway. Yeah, yep. she had her own office. Okay, she did. She and did when this. the work came to you, where did it come from, and how did it physically get to you? Right. Okay. So, um, so in terms of the structure for the mm-hmm. typing pool, we had our supervising typist in charge, mm-hmm. supervising typist. And then we had about six or seven senior typists. Oh, right. okay. And then all the staff typists mm-hmm. after that. So mm-hmm. we were kind of put into little pods, mm-hmm. um, then looked after by the senior typists, okay. mm-hmm. who allocated the work to us. So she literally brought it. What, how, in what form did it come? Was it documents or...? It was, it was all handwritten. All handwritten. All handwritten material, okay. yes, yes. So you could yep. tell which person had written the report? Yep. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so most of the work that we did was mainly letters going out to uh, the beneficiaries mm-hmm. because it was, back then it was all the thing was all the benefits. Of course, yeah. Um, mm. Yeah, so. So did you, had you learned at school or did you learn then the formatting and the proper layout of letters or had you done all that at school? I did that at school. You done, so you I did that at school. With yes, all of that. Yes, yep, yep. Who else were in the pool? Was it women? Were you was, the only man? I was, I was. And how did they treat you? Just like one of the girls. Like a pet, like a pet, <laughs> yeah, I yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. So no, I think we got on re- I think extremely well. There was quite a few of these staff typists who were around the 17, 18, 19 year old age anyway. So, yeah. yeah. Um, to be Very honest, much young we were actually. Um, even the senior typists, they would have been in their mid to late 20s. That's right, really. Yeah. Yeah, so what's well, our senior typist in charge? Who was, well, I thought she was old. She's she probably 45. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, in terms of the role that I saw, remember, because they knew that I did um, shorthand yes. as well, um, there probably would have been about six or seven of us which did shorthand mm-hmm. in the typing poll. Yeah. So... Each day, the staff, if mm-hmm. they wanted, because we actually used to go down to the staff, mm-hmm. and they actually dictated letters to us. Oh, you did? So you we went did. to them. Yeah. Interesting. We went to them, yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So they would be management, what, who, what no, who were they? They, they were people who were doing reporting or? No, they were just like, I um, think the staff, like actually, I um, think writing letters to the, okay. to the clients. Okay, such an ordinary yeah. staff member. Yeah. Okay. Ordinary staff okay. members, yeah. And they did dictaphone, or you took it in short No, we took it in short end. We took it in short end. Yeah, we didn't have dictaphones back then. No, you no, no. They came in later. Yeah. Yeah, so it would have been about a year and a half later mm-hmm. doing the staff typist role where, when I got a, um, promoted to a senior typist role. <laughs> right. Yeah. By this time, about 19. 19, oh going my to 20. Oh, really? Nothing, mate. It's fantastic. Yeah. Eleanor was a budding concert pianist who worked for the Ministry of Education starting out in Auckland before transferring to Wellington when her parents decided to move in the mid-1950s. So mum and dad moved to Wellington and I'd been working one year in the education department and continuing with my music, which had got much harder once I had to leave the convent. Mm. And um, I had to... It just got harder. Mm. And, of course, working the full days... And then we didn't get paid very well, so you know it was also managing your money to pay for the music lessons. 
and um, then mum and dad got a transfer to Wellington. I was 16 when I started work. I was, I was still 16, but they, we shifted in November. And in those days, you went with your parents. You just didn't mm. even consider staying behind in Auckland in a flat or mm. something. And I sta- mm. did stay behind for a month or so to sit my music exam. But anyway, we made the shift, and then they agreed that I could shift from education, Auckland, to education, Wellington. Mm-hmm. And because in Auckland they had like 10 departments, and you, as a shorthand typist you went from one department to the next each month. Mm-hmm. So I had already I been there 11 months. So I knew all the workings oh, yeah. of the education department. So they, they, they circulated you around yeah. the department. Yeah. Could we just go back, Eleanor, to how you got that job in the first place? Um, I what just, actually happened? I decided while well, I was leaving school, and so I thought working in the public service, they got paid a little bit more than some of the other places, and it was a, a good, and in those days it was a steady job, you wouldn't be put out of it in a hurry. And I just applied to the state services I think mum applied for me. <laughs> I don't think I even applied mm. for myself. And I can't remember whether I even got an interview. Oh, really? Seemed, well, you went with your mother. Yes, you did. Yes. yes. And so... So you would have gone and met somebody. I must have done, mm. yes. And I was given two places I could. It was a very quick interview. And um, they gave me two choices of places. They were desperate, I think, for shorthand typists. And as I already had a high speed, mm. um, they... And you were 15? Yes. Yes, yes. Wow. And so I turned 16 the day after I started. And work. which of the two did you choose to go to? I chose to education. You chose yeah, education. Because I thought it would be what more interesting. I have no idea. No. I can't remember now. Something like forestry, I think. And you chose education because? <laughs> well, I thought it sounded more interesting. Yes. 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 To end our episode three, we have to hear Lee's unforgettable interview at the Department of Social Welfare in Christchurch in the late 70s. So I, I applied for this job, and the day came for this interview. So this is the story. Um, so I had been, um, I'd actually been up in Auckland and um, visiting my grandmother, and we'd gone to town. And um, I had bought this beautiful suit, and it was a beautiful pleated tartan skirt, um, just you know, down maybe just past the knee. It was green. It was sort of green and cream and brown, you know, lovely tartan skirt. And it had a matching waistcoat that was really nicely tailored and. Um, you know, nice um, coloured buttons, and it was it was just lovely. And that on its own was a really nice outfit. It was a nice cream blouse underneath it, but it had this lovely cream, uh, green, just plain green jacket. So part of bringing out the green and the jacket. And so I decided for this interview that and I was, the shoes. and the shoes. I had lovely brown shoes, um, high heeled stiletto-y shoes, lovely. Yeah. Anyway, so I biked up and my <laughs> bike. You had to bike. Stiletto heels Yeah. Yeah. And then um, so I got to this cathedral square. I parked my bike around behind the BNZ bank, <laughs> put my shoes on and wand- wandered around into the cathedral square. And my friend was there to meet me. So. And so I'm, I'm walking towards her and, and she's, you know, she's got this beaming smile on her face. And then all of a sudden, just like in slow motion, her, her face is going you know, from this beaming smile to now not smiling and face sinking. And, and I'm going, well, what's the matter? And, oh, she said, I don't believe it. She said, Miss Donovan's got exactly the same suit on as you have, but hers is pink. Hers is dusky pink. And I went, well, there's no time for me to go home now. You know, I'm on my bike. My bike's somewhere around the back. So, you know, my mouth's gone all dry. My throat's gone all dry. I'm and you're you're nervous. Or something. Yeah, you're 18 or 19, and, it's just, and, you think, and you, you know, you just went, 
well, you know, I can't go in there in the petticoat um, sort of thing. So, um, and I was, I was nervous enough as it was going for the interview. So now I'm even more nervous. And so then, <laughs> so we get in the lift and we go up to the interview, up to the interview room. And um, I had to meet the people that were going to be interviewing me. And then Miss Donovan walks in and she's, and she's tall and slender and she's got the hairdo. She had beautiful, you know, beautiful set hair. She'd have her hair set every day or just about every day, every other day. And, um, you know, and she's just looking immaculate in this beautiful suit. And I'm looking, you know, just as stunning, but just a bit shorter in, um, in my suit. And I just said, all I could say to her was, we've got a great choice of clothes. And it's, it's all I could say. And so we sat down and interviewed. And the smirk on the, <laughs> the, smirk on the um, assistant director benefits and pension space, I think it was, his, his title was, was just... I can still see his face today. But wonderful, wonderful story oh. of how you entered the public service. Yeah. So then, I, so I got the job. Uh, I did get the job. Of course, you got the job. Yeah. Now, Mahi Nui, a big thank you to our interviewees for sharing their stories and experiences of how they got those first jobs in the typing pool and what those first few days or weeks was like. Coming up next is episode four, part two, in life in the typing pool. This time focusing on the day-to-day operations, how work was submitted, distributed, quality assured and returned, what roles existed within the typing pool and some stories to describe the social aspects of the different eras. The Keystrokes Per Minute project was made possible by funding support from the Ministry of Culture and Heritage and the Public Services Commission. Listeners can find out more about the project by visiting website www.storycollective.nz. The soundtrack was kindly provided by permission from the Boston Typewriter Orchestra. Find their music and merchandise on bandcamp.com. Thanks for listening.